This podcast is created in partnership with Film Studies and the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney. We acknowledge the tradition of custodianship and law of the country on which the University of Sydney campuses stand, as well as the Darug people, where we all grew up. We pay our respects to those who have cared for and continue to care for country. I wish I knew how to quit. I see all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm gonna go, do you want me to go f***ing flash your lights? Take two. Film verse. Film. Merry Christmas, listeners, and welcome to a very special holiday edition of Film vs. Film, the podcast where each episode we throw two different films into the ring, discuss their place in history, their modern virtues, and how they stack up against each other, which film will hold up, and which film will be left on the cutting room floor. In this episode, we've been hitting the eggnog hard uh, and looking to drink away the troubles of the year, celebrating our first Christmas together as we take on two classics of the American holiday season. One film comes right off the back of World War II and the other closes out the wild excess of the 1980s. Both films have become iconic Christmas classics and both films are about a patriarch on Christmas Eve dealing with family tensions, work tensions and that annoying wooden staircase railing with one father giving it a kiss and the other attacking it with a chainsaw. Yes, we're doing Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life versus National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I'm award-winning filmmaker Craig Anderson, who spent Christmas season 2005 playing Santa Claus at Burwood Meyer Department Store. I remember vividly <laughs> the summer that you were Santa. Yes. And one of my favourite memories is that Rebecca, my wife, mm. and I came and visited you at Burwood when you were doing Santa. <laughs> um, because was I was so time. made up with the yeah. fact that you'd become Santa f- in a shopping centre. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. This is, I should say this is after my first actor award. So I already won yeah. some fancy award. <laughs> Couldn't get it work anywhere. Was on the doll, I think, and they said you can go Were you Santa. really on the doll yeah, I was on point. the doll then. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> you were the way you say that. As they put human beings on the doll, it's the end. No, it's not the end. But it is high contrast to because ABC kept putting us in development year after yeah. year. And we're like, what? Okay. What were you doing at that time at ABC? Like, was uh, we that... had done our first season of Double the Double, Fist. Okay, you've done the season. That had gone yeah, well, yeah. but unfortunately, it beat um, Kath and Kim for the actor at the AFI. Oh, award that's right. I remember that controversial. Yeah, so that was, was a very controversial thing. And then I think somehow we weren't put straight into our new season, but we kept being told next yeah, year, yeah. next year, keep developing, keep developing. Yeah. So I ended up at Santa Claus being Santa. I went to Santa school at a recruiting <laughs> agency and it was very... I love um, how they got an induction program for Santa Claus. But if you think about it, mm. it makes sense because the personal space that you Also, you I'm assuming is, you need a working with children permit. Yeah, you need working yeah. with children. There's all the... You need a criminal check, I reckon. Yeah, well. no, they you'd do have criminal to have a criminal check. check yeah. All of the blokes who do it are old cretinous old men and I wouldn't take my kid to be honest because really? after going to well, Santa because school because of what you saw they and were the stories all that you kind told yeah us. yeah and they were all kind of nuts and do you know that you're not permitted uh, it's no longer permitted for a Santa to touch the child Oh, that's, yeah, that's we got the person's no, 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 yeah. In fact, I, I just discovered this the other yeah. day. I was, someone explained this to me. If you now take your child, <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you, you, you were called into the police station <laughs> yeah, okay. and they explained, and they explained yes. how I had overstepped the boundary. <laughs> okay. No, okay, so what, what, uh, what, what this person ex- uh, explained to me was when your child goes for a photo of Santa, they have to sit next to Santa, mm. but there has to be a gap between you and uh, between the child wow, and the sitting Santa. Wow. Whereas, like, when we were growing, like, Obviously you well, I can tell you in 2006, lives. the big new rule that all Santas were told to do, your hands, your white gloves must be visible in every photograph. 
So, to, <laughs> oh, <Jesus laughs> yeah, because, and I think it was to protect both the Santa and the the, the interests of the department and the company, yeah, of course, so that your hands from, are visible from, from for potential everybody. litigation. The, the yeah. funniest part of that is as Craig said that he's got his hands <laughs> up in the air, and I'm picturing these gleaming white Santa gloves that you're holding up. Yeah. So there's no lawsuit, Craig. When I mm. when when you told me that you played Santa Claus, yes. I immediately started picturing you as Dan Aykroyd out of Trading Places. <laughs> when you know when he steals like. like when well, he steals that side of salmon and he puts it inside his, ah, yes. his shirt. Like well, I'll tell you what destitute. blew my mind was on Christmas Eve, I got caught in because one of the other Santas had gone crazy. This is a, these are stories for another time, trust yeah, me. Yeah. But that Santa had gone very bad and and, and was escorted off by security. But then I, um, <laughs> he, he'd fallen in love with one of the ph- photographers. What, is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it didn't go well. But anyway, I ended up coming in to replace him on Christmas Eve. But at the end of the day, as they're closing the store, security came and marched me out and checked my bag. And I was like, what are you kidding me? I've been coming in for like six weeks. Yeah. Everyone knows me. And the other weird thing about playing Santa is people have an unhealthy level of respect for you like you're a priest. And so in Burwood, I'd come out of the, the, the um, accessible bathroom after getting changed and swapping with the other Santa. So two men going to a toilet together and then one comes out in a Santa suit and another guy comes out in plain clothes. It's so weird. But anyway, I came out dressed as Santa, ringing my bell, and then hit up straight away by these um, elderly women who come up and go, Santa, Santa, I missed you. And they, they're hugging and touching and it's wow. kind of like, it's kind of confronting. So have, they, they, it confers the kind of status on you. Yes, an absolute status. But as you walk around, you go to pass the CD counter and everyone's like, hello, Santa. And you go, hello there. What, are, you t- are you saying you were in full Santa gear? I'm in gear. full garb. Yeah, yeah, because there's no like secret And people are just calling out to you, hi, Santa, hi, yeah, Santa. Yeah, everyone's got to be real nice oh, and respectful it. to you. But it's kind of a... And, and it doesn't make sense that these old blokes that I met have that kind of power. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. <laughs> that's not right. Anyway, that's me at Santa. Uh, I, I should say, before I introduce you two, we have eggnog here. And we've started mm. to drink eggnog. And we've got cakes and we've got bonbons for yes. today's festive episode. Um, as always, I am joined by my two best friends from high school, uh, resident cinephile and the Grinch of our worst off drafts. <laughs> Remember <laughs> the worst off draft you kept I got um, it, I got putting... A lot of people have said to me, yeah. some of your decisions make absolutely no sense. <laughs> well, because you were the... <laughs> everyone, everyone, every, you put the Oscar winners all on once. the bottom yeah. of no, our but, No, no, but Green Book deserved it. Sure, I do but say everything, everything everywhere, yeah, everything. second I, place, Hoshi? I literally did follow my heart. I followed my heart <laughs> in that because that's what I felt at the time. Yeah, yeah. No, and um, that's good, but I like the fact that um, you can't accuse us of being conformist well, in I'm any trying, way. I'm when you look at it, okay. I'm known. I'm known as a person who keeps it real. He's the Grinch. <laughs> it's of that David Lynch, Lynch thing back again. Like uh, get real. Get real. <laughs> it's Herschel Isaacs, and we are also joined by Herschel's twin brother, who went away to UCID and came back with the Congressional Medal of Honor for boring students. <laughs> Where, where's this coming from? I don't know. I'm just getting stuck in. <laughs> All right, because it's like it's like a Christmas roast. It's a you roast. It's a person, roast. Yeah. It's a roast. Um, it's associate professor of film Bruce Isaacs. Hey, Craig. Uh, <laughs> where's that come from? <laughs> Hey, Great. for our Enjoy. listeners at home, we've been doing a half an hour of, of testing and yes. talking. And we're so when Bruce it. comes on, on air and he goes, hey, Greg, like it's, <laughs> comes can out I, of nowhere. Can I tell you a really yeah. lovely thing that happened to me this week? Please. This person who got a PhD a few years ago, anyway, sent me an email and it literally said, I just want to thank you 
for The Art of Pure Cinema, your book. Ah, congrats. And they sent me this long email saying it was like such a... I'm not... <laughs> like, I don't know what you like. I don't know, because we had a little bit of egg dog. I think I've had some respect. No, it's because we had a bit of egg dog. And when you say thank you, I, I, I just go back to season one, end of The Office, where Ricky Gervais goes, uh, there goes David Brent, I must remember to thank you. <laughs> This is our Christmas special, and I thought it would only be apt to talk about growing up in the 80s and 90s and the absolute fever pitch excitement that came in December each year when on television we'd be watching a whole slew of Christmas specials. I'm talking about Rankin Bass, I'm talking Frosty, Charlie Brown, Rudolph, Jingle Bells, Batman Smells from The Simpsons, The Drummer Boy, The Office... US and UK Christmas specials and every other sitcom in the world that did a Christmas special. Guys, do you have any memories of any of the Christmas specials oh, at that yeah. time? The Office Christmas special is... The, the UK, The right? UK Office Christmas special, I think, is the best ever Christmas because special. Because what happened in the... If you don't remember... It's just the perfect Season one is closing. six apps, season yep. two is six, six apps, apps, and then it's and left then you've o- got an open special. door. Yeah. yeah, and the Christmas special, you know, it's that show was very careful never to get overly sentimental because that was not its tone and, you know, it had this kind of... Um, very cool, knowing, um, mockumentary type thing that was, that was kind of big at that time. Mm. But it's the one moment where they, they don't get overly sentimental, but they get sentimental. And this is a testament to Ricky Gervais, to be able to make that work where, I don't people remember, um, Dawn opens the present mm-hmm. that he's given her, and it's uh, art uh, pens. Yes. Uh, where's her the, jerk the, of the boyfriend? Tim, Tim's given. Tim, yeah, yeah Tim's yeah, given. Yeah. Uh, where she's got this, you know, horrible jerk yeah. of guy as a boyfriend who just wants to make her his little trophy sort of yeah. thing. And she just bursts into tears. And you know that's going to catapult you into the final act of every, you know, great When Harry Met Sally or It's a Wonderful of Life or, you know, where they're going to, the lovers are going to unite and it's going to be this huge thing. But don't forget, like, people reference the, the Dawn, um, Tim coming together as one of the great moments in the history of, like, romantic television, right? But it's also the only time in the entire office where Brent serves it up to Chris Finch, to Finch himself. <laughs> yeah. So I, that actually is one of my favorite scenes because Brent, for all his, his dysfunction and his psychological difficulties, it's the one moment where he... There's a clarity about his intent. <laughs> you know, it's the one yeah, time. And he grows a backbone. And it's at that moment where, you know, you can hate David Branch, but at that moment you also kind of love David Branch. Um, the other, do you guys know Gavin and Stacey? Yeah, yes. Gavin and okay. Stacey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas special on that is like neck and neck with The Office just for the, 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 the hugeness of the sentiment that comes out of the Christmas stuff. One thing I was thinking about was Seinfeld's uh, Festivus. Festivus for the rest, <laughs> for the rest of us. <laughs> that is an excellent way to deal with one? sentiment and yeah, put yeah, yeah. Mr. Costanza in there, yeah, <laughs> getting angry at everything. And then the, you referenced it earlier, Craig, but the Simpsons Christmas episodes, mm. and there's a, mm. there are a number of them. Um, What's your favourite? Because uh, I got one. Well, sure. uh, the one that ends with Gary Coleman. Gary Coleman. <laughs> I was just going to say Gary Coleman. <laughs> you know when he's like phoning George and he goes, uh, oh, George Clooney, yeah, I'll come over for lunch. <laughs> and then Bart goes... Leave him alone. The phone's unplugged. You know? It's like um, one, of the, one of the like uh, I, I have a, because I love The Simpsons and, and The Simpsons is the definitive thing in my life and Lockie's life growing up. Mm. Um, the Simpsons Christmas special, a whole special place. I've been mean, Treehouse of Horror, but The yeah. Simpsons specials, and then you've got a range of the greatest, some of the greatest satire of all time in some of their episodes and the early stuff, especially. But yeah, when I watch a Simpsons Christmas show. 
that really warms the cockles mm. of my heart, as Dennis Leary would have said. And we've got Santa's <laughs> Little Helper 1 and 2, I think. Was yeah, yeah. out in a Christmas yeah. episode, the dog. It's, it's actually... Yeah. So Christmas is the best time of year, I think, for movies also just stuff and like TV. carols. Well, that's I don't really thing. watch carols that much, yeah. but I like the fact that it's almost like... It's almost background dressing to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, where would it be if Delta Goodrum wasn't springing up on Channel 9, mm. right? Or Ray Martin wasn't hosting the carols. Now, I wouldn't watch that Wilkins. stuff for hell, right? But at the, no, <laughs> but at the same Wilkins. time, it's the fact that, hey, if you're watching TV, there's an ad for carols, you know, this mm-hmm. Sunday in the domain. And for me, all those things kind of register Christmas. You know, Christmas like, really also, um, both for, for, for most narratives, as you said, when you try not to be sentimental, like the, the UK office yeah. did, it's hard to be sentimental. But... When a season or when a you know a holiday or something brings a sentimentality with it, it really helps, and that's what one of the things that inspired me with my horror film, which yeah. is also set at Christmas, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was to make something and plug into that, and also from a, um, a, a budget point of view, <laughs> using <laughs> traditional carols is much cheaper, but it does the same job. Well, really is that because it's people. out of um, it's all copyright? they're all yeah because they're all, they're all yeah, yeah. traditional the copyright and yeah. you get anyone else to sing or play it and it becomes free. Yeah, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's absolutely fantastic. Did you boys ever watch Rankin and Bass? You know, those just remind puppets? me of what that is. So again? that's like the little stop motion puppets. No, no, no. no, 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 no. I'm such a that. big fan of that growing yeah, right. up. They're these really cute little Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, mm. yeah it's yeah. very similar. It's the same stop frame yeah. uh, animation of. of well, then that became that whole tradition things. of like, what do you watch every year? You yes, know, like the yeah, channel, yeah. Like Channel Ten would play the same movie. Every yeah, single well, year. Well, in that Africa, we watch Scrooge. Our family watched Scrooge every, every year. I have memories of that. Yeah. Um, I watch It's a Wonderful Life and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation every year. Well, the, the family I live with does Die Hard every year. Yeah. We watch Die Hard. I watch that about five times a year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's going to pop up anyway. All right, well, there it is. We're doing our very own Christmas special today. And as always, today's episode will feature spoilers from both films. If other films pop up along the way, we will do our best not to spoil them. All right, let's get into it. But before we do our first film, I think it's, it's time. It's time for a bonbon. Yes, let's give an update. We've got in front of us a bunch of cakes from Matinee Cafe from Charles. Thank you, we've Charles. Got, thanks, Charles. Yeah, we've thank got eggnog Charles. from Herschel, and we've got three very expensive bonbons. Yeah. Let's just do this one. This I'll is Bruce and Herschel in the bonbon. Let's see right. who wins. I hate losing. Okay. Three, two, one. Yes. And yeah, so Bruce, Bruce has won that one. Bruce, what have you got oh, inside? Hey. Tweezers. <laughs> Eyebrow tweezers. No, but they're real tweezers. These are proper. No wonder it's yes. expensive. Okay. This is excellent. I'm going to uh, tell the joke. Uh, it's, no, it's he, trivia. He has a yellow hat, everybody. What is claustrophobia? Fear of closed spaces? Space, tight spaces? No, no, no. It's, this one's a joke. Fear oh. of Father Christmas. Claws, claustrophobia, claustrophobia, claustrophobia. Oh, claustrophobia. Very good. So I'm not sure yes. if that was trivia or just No, a joke. that was a joke. Right. Trivia, within which five-year period was the first commercially produced Christmas card commissioned by Sir Henry Cole? Oh, I reckon 1910. Herschel? No, 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 uh, 1905. First commercially produced Christmas, Christmas card. card. Commercially, no, I'm going back to 1890. I'm going to the 1800s, 1850. Printing press. Craig? 1890. Hey, pretty good, 1843, Herschel. Mm, so you got very whoa. close. That's been... Hey, speaking uh, of... Any more, any more I've got Christmas cards for you too. There you oh, go. Yeah, well, oh, that's for your families, Herschel. That's yours. Oh, thank you. And Craig. I've made a Christmas. Is there any money in it, Craig? That's no. beautiful. 
Yeah, you can keep shaking it. Maybe money will fall out at some point. You don't need to open it now. But they're made little cards. Thank you, Craig. I'm going to get you one. Oh, nice scent. In due course. Put some perfume on it. I'll get you one for 2024. Put some perfume on it. That's nice. Yes, and explained why this perfume you'll find out as you read. All right, let's move on to today's first film. Take one. Up first on today's show, It's a Wonderful Life from 1946. During the 1930s, director Frank Capra had made a name for himself as the top director working in Hollywood, winning three Oscars in 1935, 37 and 39 for Best Director for films like It Happened One Night and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. During World War II, Capra joined the war effort, producing and directing many propaganda films, including the Why We Fight series. Then, in 1946, he began production on the fantasy Christmas film that would become his legacy. It's A Wonderful Life is the story of a wide-eyed dreamer, George Bailey, played by James Stewart, who has high hopes of travelling the world and settling in New York to be a city planner. Unfortunately, George's plans are interrupted by an endless series of life-altering events and his good nature and strong principles prevent him from following his dreams. Eventually, George finds himself backed into a corner and decides that taking his own life will help bail his family and business out of trouble thanks to a hefty life insurance policy. Just as George decides to do the deed, he is interrupted by a doddery guardian angel who shows him what the world would be like if he never existed. George is overwhelmed to learn that many people in the town would have a much worse life if he didn't exist, and most importantly, his children would never be born and his wife would be a heartbroken librarian, which I thought was a bit rough on librarians. <laughs> yeah, like, especially considering yeah. Rebecca was a librarian. Yeah, yeah, and so many other people had much worse lives than he met, but then this woman's <laughs> librarian, okay. Um, after George receives a second chance at life, he runs through the town to find his family and discovers that the town has rallied behind him to bail him out of trouble. The film deals with themes of fate, responsibility, destiny, love, war, poverty, socialism, capitalism and Christmas. The film opened to mixed reviews and lost money at the box office. It was loved by some and considered too sentimental by others. The same year of its release, it also competed with another Christmas classic, Miracle on 34th Street. It was nominated for six Oscars but lost all of them, five to a movie called The Best Years of Our Lives, about US servicemen returning to a normal life after the war. We've seen that again with... The Hurt Locker, right? Like, yeah, similar. Yeah, like winning a, Oscar Best Picture. I mean, yeah. that was a huge movie, a really great movie. Yeah. And it also lost the Best Sound Recording Oscar to The Al Jolson Story, <laughs> which, of course, is a biopic about a blackface singer. During the following decades, a dispute over copyright between the studio, the writers who shared screenplay credits with Capra, and the author of the original short story meant that TV stations around the world would often play the film with no clear entity collecting royalties. As a result, from the 1980s onwards, the film was frequently on screens at Christmas time and as a result has become one of the most loved Christmas movies of all time. Today, the film is considered a classic and often features on lists of great movies anywhere from 7th to 250th place. <laughs> it's not always in the top 100, but it's always in the conversation. Herschel, what's your take on It's a Wonderful Life? This director has created a world right? Like a world builder. So the Steven Spielberg world that other people then draw on lady and keep it going. Like, you know, that Stranger Things riffs on the Spielberg world is such an important thing. I think that this Frank Capra world 
is a world about values, about the discussion of change, about being left behind when things change around you, about the fight of good versus evil and the David versus the Goliath. So there are things that resonate with people. In a way, I kind of, when I say the, the Steven Spielberg world in, in the literary sense, I, I think people talk about the Dickensian world or the, or, the, or the London of Charles Dickens. And it's just these people that have created things that, are, that resonate so strongly um, with, with viewers or readers or the audience that it, it takes on a life of its own. I think Frank Capra achieved that. And in the entire universe of Frank Capra, for me, It's a Wonderful Life is the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love Mrs. That. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah. I, I, I love, you know, um, my, my studies. are great, right? Yeah. But uh, It's a Wonderful Life is the, is the one that hits you in the head. It's just an amazing statement of... Life. Can yeah. I add one? I just want to pick up on one thing that Craig said before. Because have you guys ever watched any of Frank Capra's um, propaganda movies? No, I haven't actually. Nah. So they're really interesting, right? Because it was a whole bunch of uh, American directors, like George Stevens was another huge one, really important, um, who made these films in support of the war effort from the American point of view. And when you were reading that, I, it, it just cast my mind back to what's a critical subtext in that whole final part of the film, which is... Um, George's brother's um, heroism, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, and like the American achievement of these great heroes. And if George had gone, he would have won two Congressional Medals, medals of Honor. Mm. So there's this clear link between service to country and service to your community, you know, which is such a Capra thing. Well, that's it's, like it's so, that's so Capra. It's, it's definitely a statement of what's tangible and real in terms of values and morality. Mm. And it, you know, it... it it's a clear statement against cynicism, right? The, the capacity yeah. of the world to become cynical. Can I, but I just on this point, can I just say, I'm confused, not confused, but from a modern point of view, mm. I am 100% with all of the morals and the way everyone acts in that film. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't been through war in this country or anything, but the, the efforts that they all go to to help each other, I'm like, this is pretty cool. This is like... A, yeah, you I mean, know, and there's a clear villain. Obviously, he's part of a capitalist system, but the film isn't saying he's a good guy. It's making him very clear that Mr. Potter is a real jerk. Yeah, and everyone else is like, I'm like, I want to be one of these dudes, well, but in, I'm not sure of the mo- like. What does this mean? Is this well? That, that's the thing, though. So in, in, what is in, going on in the in prepping for this episode? I came across an interesting piece where in 1971. So this is a long way into Frank Capra's life already. He actually lived all the way to 1993 after having a stroke in in the 80s sometime. But he was given a talk to film students, and he was asked, you know, with 1970s Vietnam, the change into politics, mm. and the cynicism that's around that, is there still a place for the values of Frank Capra in film, or has that become something that's outdated, mm. or has it become irrelevant? And he said that if there was no place to discuss those values, or if that's not what we're aiming for, then what's the point of making movies? And it's an interesting thing in his mind. It was such. It was clearly black and white. And I'm not saying mm. that's necessarily good or bad, but it is the it is Capra's world. But I mean, okay, Craig. In response to your question, that's a really interesting question, right? Like, there are many things that are really beautiful about the movie, mm. but they also potentially create a kind of veneer of some things that could be really not very nice at all. Yeah. So, for example, the movie is clearly linking the concept of a community like a small community, to a wider nation, right? So that the nation is not thought of as this abstract thing of like America. Mm-hmm. It's actually thousands of little communities that make America great and make it what it is. So when George walks, I mean, I like, did you guys notice this? I hadn't noticed this ever before. Wherever anybody goes, everybody knows that person's name. 
Did yeah. you notice that? Yeah. So yeah. he goes into the bar. You know, uh, George, why are you drinking so much? You know, Martini. Everyone knows everybody, yeah. right? So on one level, okay, that's wonderful. I, all of us want to live that way. But that's also a way of saying, okay, that's a recipe for creating um, communities that also block outsiders from coming in, like the faceless, the nameless, the people without the identity that fits. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where some of that criticism comes from. You know, especially post-60s, I think, or through the 60s and into the 70s, mm. that sort of parochialism of the American community. And you see, I mean, it's all over Capra. Now, again, I love it, right? It's beautiful. Sure. But, I mean, there are not many George Baileys in the world. But, right? yeah. <laughs> but if, you, if you apply the same thing to, to Mrs. Smith Goes to Washington, that's obviously a completely idealistic view of politics, yep. that you can actually go there and do yeah. something like that. That, that, doing it, that That's mm. comedic to yeah. an extent. But then the question becomes is, surely there's still value, though, in representing that, in representing mm. the extremes of, of moral play. Yeah, I, um, I, 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 think that's, I completely agree with these. Like, my, my take on it, so I'm just going to say, It's a Wonderful Life means so many different things to different people. For me, what I love about it is it's like this idea of good people can be genuinely made to be bad if circumstances befall them in that way. Mm. Uh, it reminds me of um, the philosopher John Locke's tabula rasa. So the, ta- the tabula rasa in John Locke's theory is that we're born a clean slate and that your life is populated by the connections that you make throughout life. Mm-hmm. Um, and to an extent, you think of... And this, again, goes to James Stewart's ability to hold the screen. You know, probably one of the great movie stars of all time. I also think that's one of his best performances. Oh, just the oh, best performance. I think it's his best like, were performance. You, I was blown I mean, away. Harvey right? has some good moments. I really like yeah, yeah. in that, which is for those people that don't know. It's like Harvey's amazing. He, even Harvey, you could sort of say, is a Capri-esque yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 for right? sure. yeah. I think that's like 1950 or something, yeah, right. 1949. But it's him seeing an invisible rabbit that no one else can see. Mm. And it's kind of... The inspiration for Donnie Darko, no, no. But it is kind of like a, a metaphor for if you believe, you know, it's kind of like, is yeah. it real or is it not real? Cast a shadow, stuff like that. It's yeah. very interesting. But film. Also, but I mean, that's a very really good clear strain of that uh, American idealism. You know, if you build it, he will come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Field of Dreams is, you know, kind of almost single-handedly recuperated all that stuff for about a decade. It's also that fairy tale concept that if I fall down, my people will pick me up. Oh, totally. Right? Yeah. And that's, so that's in the community. Yeah. Like, that's like the Spider-Man. Spider-Man's getting done by yeah, Doctor yeah. whatever, and then suddenly the people rally around him. In fact, that's a great point. I would put the Spider-Man, like especially the Tobey Maguire. Maguire. The first, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man, where it all ends on the like the, the bus. Yeah, yeah, And exactly. all of New York exactly. has to get together. Mm-hmm. Those are Capra-esque moments. Superman right? as well, though. Superman 2, when Superman's taking on Zod and the other two, um, when all the people and and Superman's got to save the people, and, and he goes, that's his weakness. Mm. He loves the people. So it's a community concept. Totally. Right? I mean, and you mm. see how these nat- national myths and kind of mythological structures inform not just like Capra in, in 1946, but all the way through. We still see it recycled in you know Marvel, Disney, all these sorts of mythologies that we hold to of like the community. Uh, it, it'd be great if I knew the name of the guy who worked at the corner store rather than I've got to go to the supermarket. You know, th- those things are so deep in, in American culture. So, like, when I watch It's a Wonderful Life, like, I'm, I guess I'm, I don't think it's valuable or, 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 or useful to bring, like, a postmodern kind of critique to it, right? Because in terms of identity and the way and, and, and the complexity of the world and the analysis of it, It's a Wonderful Life's not really going to work. Things have moved on. But it doesn't mean that what it is isn't a valuable representation of yeah, a particular totally. moment in time or a particular period in time. I just want to say something um, uh, 
that Roger Ebert said. So in giving It's a Wonderful Life four stars, Roger Ebert described it as one, one of the very few ageless movies that he named two other ones, all right? He named Casablanca and The Third Man. He said the thing about certain movies is that there are some very, very good movies that I don't want to watch again and again. I'm just going to watch it, and, I'll, and they're fantastic, but I'm not going to come back to it. He goes, with It's a Wonderful Life, or, or these types of movies, they represent an ageless quality to filmmaking itself. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting point. So for me, I guess It's a Wonderful Life, the reason I do watch it every Christmas is because it's a part of that kind of idealistic world that you don't need to delve into mm. you know it doesn't permit you to pull it apart and go okay but that isn't reality that wouldn't really work George Bailey might be a bum or so it's not that it's just a, it's it's a moral fable it's a fable it, in know? fact I love that because I thought of it as like a parable right yeah. of yeah. like the the person who has to learn you know he's misguided at the start because mm -hmm. he wants to leave and it's you know it's, it's interesting that we talked about this with the wizard of oz just a few weeks back right and that what he has to discover is that you know home is where you know your heart should be right that's what you should do you return home you stay home and so one of the things that i find really interesting about it is going back to james stewart's performance were you guys struck by the violence of his performance in parts? When, well, when like he was the for me, stuff. when he starts to spiral, I, was like, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I thought that could not have been done before the war. I don't think mm. you can have a 30s movie show that kind of nuclear family disruption or disturbance because he's definitely violent. He's abusive to in the way that he speaks and addresses his wife and children. He's suicidal, mm. right? He's lost all hope for... Like, can you think... I can't think of any American movies in the 30s that did anything like that. But then we've got Best Years of Our Lives the same year as, yeah. Mr. as um, It's a Wonderful Life. So quite astonishing that, you know, th the movie's also infused with a moment, I think, which is 1945, 1946, the end of the war, and the brutality of all that that, that represented. The other thing I also wanted to point out was that I think... So James Stewart, he's actually one of my favorite actors, right? So I can watch that guy in anything. Yeah. But it, it's not really a James Stewart movie because Donna Reed, his wife mm. in this movie, is central to the whole thing. Yeah. The relationship she's that she's really got good. with him... And that time frame of where they're, you know, one of my favorite scenes in movies where they're dancing and the and the and the floor of the pool <laughs> opens, and that's actually a real pool at a at a high school yeah, in yeah, Hollywood. Yeah, I read that. So when it opens up and they're doing the Charleston, it, I just get the, the biggest smile on my face every single time I see it. I've yeah. probably seen it like fifty times. But if you if you sort of tabulate their relationship as young people. George is always older. You know, his father says in one of my favorite lines, he goes, you were born older, yeah, George. Um, brother, so yeah. when you look at their relationship and their marriage and the way that she takes the leadership of the relationship when George is at his worst, yeah. that's a very powerful depiction. Mm. That's a very that's powerful like message. Say, it's not the traditional... She's just not there at all as no. window dressing to support her husband's plight. She's, in fact, She's a very kind powerful of, in some in sense, the, the strength of... You know, I mean, he acknowledges that. Like, at the end, all he wants to be with is his wife and his family. Like, you know. One thing I wanted to say, do you guys think, you know, the pool scene, which I agree is yeah, just yeah. magic, right? I always think when I watch Last Picture Show, which is one of my other favorite movies. Yeah, um, I was, I was, I, my kinda, mind went there when that watching. That pool yeah, yeah. scene yeah. Yeah. sort of riffs a bit on its own because it's young people. Yeah. Um, it's coming of age, and it's a moment of transition taking place. But in uh, Last Picture Show, there's there's a kind of dark, subtext yeah. to it, yeah. whereas this is just pure joy.
The last thing I want to go to is, and we talked about this in terms of a Christmas special and the things that we watch each Christmas. You you can't watch It's a Wonderful Life and not be thinking Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which I also read every Christmas. The degree to which Capra was able to, and this is for me one of the great achievements, the degree to which Capra was able to capture the spirit of Dickens in A Christmas Carol mm. in It's a Wonderful Life. And you really needed someone like James Stewart but to I, pull I that off. I don't want to slag it off. I, 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 can I just say I'd never seen this film before. Two nights ago, I watched it with my mum. Yeah, right. With mum? Yeah, my mum. Yeah, we watched nice, it out, out in St. Clair. It was so exciting to watch. Yeah. I couldn't believe this, how good this movie was. But one thing that struck me was I knew the premise for, yep. I don't know, 40 years. I've known what this is about. Mm. But I was so surprised that watching the first 90 minutes or so, that's not what it's about. It's yeah. about a guy's life. And my mum didn't even, I don't think she was aware of what the premise was. Yeah. And at some point when it, the angel comes and that the bargaining starts, yeah. which in traditional story nowadays, that's the second act. That's 23 yeah. minutes well, that in that the you've whole got to movie. do that. If you, yeah. were, if you were promoing it with an angel comes down to help George Bailey, yeah. you that's would expect that to be 90 minutes quickly. of the movie. And it's yeah. kind of like that weird shots of the stars that are so easily forgotten. I'm, I'd forgotten it. I'm sure mum had forgotten those yeah. opening shots of constellation stalking. That by the time the angel rocks up, it became a new thing. And that's what my mum said. Oh, mm. this is like Christmas Carol now. Yeah, yeah. This is like that. Yeah, so okay. I, but I was surprised at how long it took to get to that. Mm. Yeah. And I had no problem with that, everything But that's the strength that. of the movie. But yeah, that's why it's right. so but, good. You know, for example, I mean, you know, I was always going to say that looking at the economic powers of the people, Potter and Scrooge, mm. um, and... It's the big man in town versus George Bailey and at the, at the and savings like, and loan. And it is also that trying to stave off, like, voracious capitalism. Like, a person who's going to monopolize the whole town. But this, this gets like us Bedford a hero. Is gonna be like, common. Scrooge is a jerk, always. Yeah. Like, even at the end, still a jerk, I reckon. Yeah, but he's sort of, you know, when he's like... Yeah, he, he learns stuff. a lesson, but I don't care about yeah. an old rich person learning. I'd rather see them get blown up. But in this <laughs> case... No, 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 no. That's very impolite, isn't it? But I would rather see this... Yeah. The story of Tiny Tim or whoever it is that needs the help having to solve the problem themselves yep. and fight and mm. go on the journey. That's a much better story. I just think this is yeah, a yeah, yeah. big improvement on A Christmas Carol. That's, I mean, that's a big call, that, I, mean, I don't care. That's a big improvement on Charles Dickens. But it's interesting. <laughs> is in, it takes A Christmas Carol and then moves it to 1946, right? Yes. Yeah. And in America, you've got Capra who's been involved in the war effort itself, right? And, you know, the Americans and the British and the Allies – literally thought they were in it in a battle for the you know the future of the world. So you see a bit of that subtext. But also, we're all in in this. I'd also like to think that a part of it was was Capra saying that post-World War II when the United States went into you know the, its biggest economic boom because of the amount of money it was owed out of the loans it made in, in fighting World War II, I think also Capra is saying that that will be the seedbed for people like Potter who would be taken advantage of others yes. because oh, of those opportunities. You know, remember, um, I love the line where George says, um, you weren't helping them out, you were stealing from them. Yeah. You know, like you were getting yeah. a deal. Everything for you was a deal. And can I say, on that thing of what does George Bailey and the, the building and loan represent versus what Potter represents is when there's a run on the bank on the, the building and loan mm. and they're all standing there and the first guy wants his 247 bucks yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. And then the next guy goes, Maybe twenty dollars, and he goes, "Oh, mm. thank you, thank you." And then he goes to, uh, and they all want like twenty, eighteen, and then the lady comes forward and says, "All right, Miss Davis, could I have seventeen fifty? You remember he grabs it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I teared up watching that. It was just such a stunning moment. And James Stewart, at that he's leaping from like intense emotion mm. to kind of almost frivolity. 
You know, like it's almost like a Buffalo Girls. Yeah, if you think about James Stewart, right? Mrs. Smith goes to Washington. It's a Wonderful Life. But then you look at things like Vertigo and Rope and all the Hitchcock work, right? I mean, his range is extraordinary. The range of James Stewart. And the capacity well, I mean, you look for at, him to hold the he's screen. He's like a, yeah. a dotty old kook in yeah. Vertigo. You know, but in this one, his college-aged kid is yeah. amazing. He's like a proper... like It's almost like we went back to the 30s to see yeah. him do college kid. Mm. And that college stuff, he's so fresh-faced and, and wide-eyed yeah. and so excited to be alive yes. and move on from the he's, world. Like, and then you compare that to some of the stuff where he's walking around heading to the bridge. Yeah. It's such a different... He, he's, he's so he's good. Incredible. He, he he's incredible. I mean, because... The other thing I will say is that often classical Hollywood... I mean, to our our eyes now, seems kind of dated, as if everything was a bit hokier than it is now, because mm. we've inherited kind of much higher levels of realism. How great is he exactly, as you say, from a kid all the way up to, uh, you know, a, a person in later life with a wife and children and at the edge of his life? Mm-hmm. Like, I fully believe that. Like, mm. you know, I, there was no part of me that thought, oh, come on, this is melodramatic. He's not going to kill himself. That's... It was so real that I was completely moved by it. I want to say how much I was gobsmacked by the sequence where he goes to 1985A or 1946A in this case. Yeah. He walks in after making the wish that he didn't exist. He walks exactly like Marty, looking at things. The signage yes. is changed. It looks like Biff's oh, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Great. looking yeah, at yeah. everything. And so, then there's one moment, and I'm sure the, the, as they wrote Back to the Future 2, they said, let's do It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, totally. No, no. I think Zemeckis yeah. is talking about this. Because yeah. then they run to the cemetery, and literally the same thing that Marty does, they pull apart the you know yep. some weeds to reveal what's written on the tombstone, and there's the shot of the city behind the tombstone. Like Everything's in there that's in Back to the Future 2. Yeah. I couldn't. I just had not, you know uh, no idea that that was a reference. Did you guys also find that whole sequence extremely disturbing yeah because you can't help but project yourself into what if i was forced into an alternate reality and it's so dark and so violent if, if you slice you know, and that it's movie scary and you just watch that sequence it's like verging on a horror movie yeah i mean yeah. It, I was it's literally quite well, it's like a twilight zone definitely. yeah, it, yeah. It, it was, really and disturbing. also you know when he's screaming out like clarence clarence please yeah. give him a you know and then he says to your god please help you you you, you kind of you're terrified. It's like the Twilight Zone where time mm. stops. Yeah. You know, and, and you can't start time again. And that's the end of it. You know, and it's that moment of like the uncanny where I don't know how to feel about this. It's, it's too large for me to possibly describe. But the shot of him running through the city after the world is correct mm. and he's running home and he's waving to everyone yelling yeah, and out. And don't talk Herschel's do that. Oh, okay. Sense. Well, all right. I just want to say that mm. I've seen that before. But not in the movie. Without yeah. the context of the movie, I thought this movie must be not very good. But seeing <laughs> yeah. it here, it was totally justified. Have, so I'll talk good. about it later. But how many times have you seen that in other movies now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The parody um, of it. The, I wanted to finish on something again, going back to Roger Ebert. He gave it four stars. Ebert said, "The one thing I want to emphasize is you should never watch the colorized version of It's a Wonderful Life." Sure. Yeah. And gee. that to me was kind of like Roger Ebert was saying the Frank Capra world. It can't be color. Yeah. It doesn't belong in this modern look mm. at the way we exist. I can't it even belongs imagine in the color. traditional way. Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen a, color, a colorized version of It's a Wonderful Life. What was life. that like? Like, it's just weird. Yeah. Like, he, uh, well, for example, George in, in his, his jacket is like a green, okay? Like, it's a green jacket. Oh. It's kind of strange. Yeah. I, I don't like it. I didn't like it at all. I haven't seen it again like that. I thought that captured the difference between the Frank Capra world and you can't. You can't overstep that boundary. You can't mm. cross that line to color because you're fundamentally distorting what Capra was trying to yeah. achieve. Um, so I thought that was a no, nice thing a for point. Ebert to say. 
All right, thank you, Mr. Ebert, and thank you, Herschel. Let's move on to our second film, but before we do, it's time for another bonbon. Bonbon time. Bonbon. All right, so All right, who's doing the it first time? one, Herschel. What are Herschel and Craig? You guys All right, Herschel are... and Craig. Dude, yeah. This is a really nice flowery bonbon. Blueberry muffin. And put it in my gob. Okay. Okay, Herschel's holding his side. I'm going to find that. There's still a little bit of eggnog here. I'm going to, I'm going to oh, pour the remainder in. Okay. Yeah, okay, let's three, just refill the one. Oh, yeah, Herschel got it. Herschel has what, oh, what is it? A proper bottle opener. Look at <laughs> this. What the hell is this? Yeah, a key ring with a bottle I, opener. It's no really wonder this opener. costs so much. Yeah, you, got the, you got the right Herschel stuff. Herschel has a blue hat. Bruce is a yellow. Well, now, what have you got in our... Um, oh, hang on. Yeah, Herschel, do, the, do the trivia. For all of you playing at home, you might be able to guess it. I, okay. Let's put a bet who can guess the joke. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, no, no. I'm okay, crap at this. I, I have no ability right. with laughing. I bet thinking. 10 bucks I can get the joke. Okay, both ready? Okay, yeah. I'll give what? you both. Why yeah. was the snowman looking through the carrots? Um, nobody knows. Uh, he'd lost his no uh, mm, nose. Um, <laughs> carrots. He lost his sense of smell. He was picking his nose. <sighs> picking his nose. That's, That's good, Craig. You actually nose. picked the, the pun. Nice. Question. How many apples would you have if you took three apples from five apples? <laughs> Two apples. Wait, uh, say it again. How, How many, many apples would you have if you took three apples from five apples? Two apples. I think there's. Is a this a joke or is this a, is a question? It, uh, is it a okay? Can you answer that then? Is it a joke or a question? No, it's a proper question. Proper. If you took three apples from five apples, but, but the apples might be owners of other apples. Well, Could I be their know, children. I don't know what it's not, it's not, this is not quantum mechanics, folks. All right, so let's say two apples okay. is our answer. Isn't it two apples? Three apples. Brilliant. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Great. Yeah. Okay. Whoa, whoa. okay. I get it. I've got it. Okay. Right, you go. got it? Picture five apples on the table right now. Yeah. Mm. I take three apples from, from the five apples. From the five apples. How many apples do I have? Three. Three. Three apples. There's the answer. Whoa, is it asking how many do you have? Is that the trick? Look, is that man, the I read the, I read it word for word. Yeah, go how read many it. apples would you have if you took three apples from five oh, apples? Oh, that's very, very nice. I'm saving that. I'm going I'm to try, that. I'm gonna try that. I'm going to bring that That's out good. Christmas That's Day. Christmas really Day good. lunch. Well, there you go. If you, if you don't have enough great uh, content at your own Christmas lunch, <laughs> you can use some of this. <laughs> and you know what people should do at Christmas yeah. lunch? Just mm. play our podcast. Yeah. Play no this episode in the background. Avoid play all family drama. Just play this. Instead of playing background jazz for your Christmas lunch. Play, play Memories of Murder, number one. Play that on Christmas Day. That's a brilliant <laughs> idea. Memories of Murder while you've got the no, children okay. around play eating Borat, a turkey. Play Crocodile Dundee. Oh. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, on for Christmas lunch. And if anybody does, email us. Email us, I would please. love to, to find that Herschel, out. How would you feel about that? Very nice. <laughs> Thank you, Very Bruce. Bruce got it. Guess what I do? That? I walk down the street with Kathy. Hey, can you give us some eggnog, please? Come on, yeah, it's, it's oh, driving. I just say oh, have you something wait, that drives you Kathy nuts. You poured him eggnog? Where's my eggnog? No, I haven't done it yet. I walk along and I randomly just do this, okay? If I'll say something and then I'll just go, Nah! <laughs> I've taken to saying my oh, life gosh. instead of my wife. When I'm describing something Thank to someone you. and I say, you know, how, oh, man, I hate doing this. Oh, my life. I say, my life. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it weird how Borat is just kind of insinuated itself into Craig, have a bit more. Take two. Our second film today is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation from 1989. Following the success of the first two National Lampoon Vacation films in 1983 and 1985, uber-successful 80s screenwriter John Hughes wrote the script for Christmas Vacation. Christopher Columbus was set to direct, but clashed with the star, Chevy Chase. So Columbus moved on to a little-known movie called... 
Home Alone. Home Alone. Also written by John Hughes. Which is another great Christmas movie. Yeah. Home Alone is genuinely a yeah, fun movie. Excellent. For people it's looking a really, for just really a no-brainer to watch over Christmas, there's a lot of fun in that. Then a music video director stepped up by the name of Jeremiah Chetchik. And this mm. was his first film. So well done. Interesting, because it made a hell of a lot of money. What happened to Chechik? He directed a few, um, oh, nothing, no, a couple of features, a lot of TV. Mm. But at least his career was set, I guess. He, yeah. he had work ever since. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is the story of suburban father Clark Griswold, played by Chevy Chase, who endeavours to have a simple family Christmas with his extended family. Due to a number of extenuating circumstances, not limited to, uh, but including fire... Gas, dog, cat, tree, human waste, corporate decisions, over-enthusiastic family members, (laughs) utterly incompetent and malicious family members, and the prompt tactical response of emergency services, Clark finds it difficult to achieve his goal of a harmonious Christmas period. Fortunately for the audience, this is a well-meaning comedy, and by the end of the film, Clark achieves his goal, and in a moment of sentimentality, the family sings the United States National Anthem (laughs) as they watch a lawn decoration shoot across the sky, propelled by a methane explosion fueled by Cousin Eddie's excrement. The shit is full. (laughs) The film is colourful and warm and set in a picturesque New England town. It features an animated title sequence and paints the picture of a suburban father who has high hopes for his family and the holiday period. The movie opened in second place at the box office in 1989 behind another famous sequel. No. Sequel. Um, Famous sequel, Christmas Time. It's Back to the Future 2. And it eventually bought in $70 million, meaning it outgrossed the first two of the vacation films. It received mixed reviews, but generally good. In the 34 years since the film was released, it has only grown in popularity. And now, in 2023, it is currently screening in most cinemas across Australia throughout the month of December. I didn't even know yeah, that. Yeah, Hoyt's an event. Both that. have it on at least once a day in cinema. Wow. Uh, although many vacation films have followed a 2003 made-for-TV direct sequel that does not feature Chevy Chase was made, and I have not heard of anyone who's ever seen it. No, I've not. Have you I've heard not. of uh, Christmas Vacation 2, it's called? The last one I saw was, I believe they did one where they went to Las Vegas. No, that was an actual That's National That's with Chevy Lampoon. Chase yeah. from the 90s. Yeah, and yeah. I believe I believe Cousin Eddie's in that as well. Yeah. Yes. Cousin Eddie's the main character, I believe, in that okay. Vegas one. Yes, and also in the Christmas Vacation number two, it's all cousin, it's all Randy Quaid and, and no, none of the original mm. family. And then in 2015, they had that soft reboot called Vacation with Ed Helms. Bruce, what are your thoughts <laughs> on Christmas Vacation? I It's so hard to say. I just love this movie so much, right? I've seen it many, many, many times. Hush and I actually saw this at the drive-in with my older brother Black, Black and Town? his wife. Uh, yeah, we yeah, Black Town. Black long, long time ago. Shout out Black Town so Drive-in. So, you know, it would have been part of a double feature. And I remember it being so off the wall hmm. that I didn't, like as a, as a 10-year-old, I didn't know what to do. I would say 12-year-old. I didn't know what to make of the movie at all. Right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of it, it was like, I don't know if I like this. It's so strange. Yeah. But like you described the history of the film, and it's just grown on <laughs> me, and it's become a part of my life. I've just grown with it. Um, I think the your relationship to this movie, like if I were to describe my mum's relationship to this movie, it would have been pure hatred. Your mum? Right? Well, she, she would have been so annoyed by the antics of Clark yeah, Griswold. Yeah, it's, it's ah. a kind of humor. she'd go, you're so that, stupid, yeah. so annoying. 
Um, that's in the same way my mum would hate some mothers do have him with Michael Crawford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like she there would just get so annoyed yeah. at, at his stupidity and be so frustrated. Right, so she was like his wife almost, yes. you know? Yeah. So that was, that's exactly, you know, so I think the movie works or doesn't work depending <laughs> on how you receive Chevy Chase, mm-hmm. right? If, if you're and on Chevy Chase's <laughs> wavelength, yes. generally speaking, in his comedy, I watched Caddyshack about a month ago. That's dated, like, I, I sure. don't like the movie at all. Yeah, the only parts that stand out are when Chevy Chase's comic genius comes yeah. to the fore. And we should also say Chevy Chase has a huge pedigree in the world of American comedy, right? Like he's SNL. one of the big guys in big, SNL. The big in fact, 80s. he's one of the founding, uh, mm-hmm. like you know, stars of SNL, right? And he's on there for a while. And then your response to Christmas Vacation is going to be based a, a bit on also, have you seen National Lampoon's Vacation? Because that introduces you to the Griswold family when they're trying to go to Wally World. It also depends on, does the character of Clark Griswold resonate with you? So in, in, the, in the second movie, European Vacation, when Clark is like dancing in the Austrian outfit and he's slapping people in the face yeah. and stuff, if, if, if that annoys you, you're probably not going to like these movies. Yeah. Because they're nutty. They're absolutely insane. Is there a movie, like Christmas Vacation especially, is there a movie where there are more, like just standalone funny lines <laughs> delivered by a person? For example, when when the neighbors, and which is Julia Louis-Dreyfus yeah, of Seinfeld, Seinfeld and Veep fame, when they arrive home, the guy looks over to Clark and he's got the, the, the big stick in his head. And he goes, what are you going to do with that? He goes, bend over, I'll show you. Yeah, we can and he it, goes, yeah. how dare you talk to her, to, to me like that? And he goes, I wasn't talking to you. So one take is, this is off the wall lunacy. And you've almost got to sync with the sensibility of Chevy Chase mm-hmm. to make this work. Because every part of that world is going to revolve around him. And whether you accept the sentimentality or the total zaniness, that's going to depend on your response to the movie. The other part, of, the other take I've got is, this is exactly It's a Wonderful Life. It's virtually Whoa. the yeah. same now, movie. I was, I was going to well, get it's the same what? movie. If I, the, the point I wanted to make was, if you can't accept James Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life and the, and the, and the arc that his character undergoes, you might think that It's a Wonderful Life is, is a foolish movie or it's rubbish. Sure. In the same way, you have to accept... Clark Griswold and Chevy Chase's performance. Mm. So in the, in the one movie, you go from over-the-top sentimentality, really heartfelt writing and heartfelt moments, yep. to another scene where he's sitting in the, in, in, in the roof and he steps out and the board hits him in the head and he turns around, the other board hits him in the head and he goes yeah, back to the board Some of the, the physical comedy is yeah. just so great. So, but, I mean, the reason I say it's just one of the life, he is James Stewart who took the deal from Potter. And now he's uh-huh. a decent executive in a corporation where, what does he do? He does something completely... Cereal. No, it's chemical. No, chemicals he, he, he develops chemicals to, to preserve cereals for longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, again, that's a gag in itself that the whole production distribution process has been so, you know, um, piecemealed out mm. that <laughs> talk about Chevy Chase being alienated from his labor. He's building <laughs> chemicals to help the cereals long lasting life. And he's preserving um, cereals that are bad for children. Yeah, like and they, so they, he's, the, he's working for Potter, but Potter is now not the small town community Potter. This, he's not Bedford Falls Potter. This is big city you know, corp- mm-hmm. corporatized, corporatized America. And so, you know, when he goes to uh, the final meeting and he's bringing a present to his boss and yeah. the boss says, you know, put it with the other and he just chucks it. Yeah. You know, and... and <laughs> Grease <laughs> ball. 
<laughs> and what about when they leave and he goes, hello, good, goodbye, kiss my ass, kiss his ass. <laughs> yeah, and so my, my sense is that it's actually a pretty um, intelligent and sophisticated updating of It's a Wonderful Life. I don't think it's a coincidence that the movie's been revisited now as not just, hey, it's a fun movie to watch at Christmas. It's actually viewed as a Christmas classic about the family trying to make good at mm-hmm. Christmas time. So the narrative's really defined by obstacles and impediments to Clark having a harmonious Christmas with his extended family. In fact, that's the whole show, right? Yeah. And if you think Can what I he's attempting to achieve, it's what, you know, it's exactly what George Bailey's trying to achieve. To that point, like I'm, I, I was struck by it for the first time. I was like, because it's one of those films we've grown up with. I've watched over and over again yeah. since it came out. My family watches it every Christmas at least. So I'm so used to it that I don't even think about it. I just know every line and everything yes. that's going to occur. I was struck by how much or how little narrative is. Like at the beginning, apart from wanting to have a good Christmas and knowing that Christmas is coming and these people are going to be here, I'm not sure what the goal is. Yeah. You know, like normally you would state a goal. Normally it would be, there'd be some sort of tension inherent. Yeah. There is tension in that will Clark survive? And yeah. I guess what you're projecting as an audience member is the obstacles are but the, obstacles the people just, that are going to show up constantly to thwart his attempts to, to, to make a good Christmas. Yes, and there are elements of great farce where the, the, the obstacles um, are linked like dominoes and yeah. it starts to get worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and that's fantastic. Yeah. Those sequences really sing. Yeah. But I remember, I think it was one of the big reveals of the time when this came out said it failed because it does set up many obstacles, but then they're, they're not often joined together, that mm. it sort of misses mm. the point of having it all culminate into something. Yeah. I still think what it does culminate into is the explosion or cousin Eddie just deciding to go and help Clark, you know. Yeah. But I mean, I think well, it's got a hell of a bang of... as an ending because if you think, where does James Stewart end in It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. He discovers family, the community rallies around him, but hey, unfortunately tomorrow, you're still going to go have to work for Potter, right? Most of those people, you yeah. still, Potter is an inevitability. In this movie, <laughs> <laughs> that is subverted by Nutter co- Cousin Eddie kidnapping mm. the boss yeah. and, in fact, turning the yeah. boss into George Bailey or Scrooge. I think so that's, it's a, really, yeah, it's that's a kind true. of revolutionary anti-capitalist film. Bruce, you said before we started that we have to set aside some time to discuss Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's talk Eddie. about Eddie. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's turn to Eddie now. Um, <laughs> can you just talk about when Eddie first appears in the great history of the Griswold family? In National Lampoon's Vacation, when they go and visit Cousin Eddie on the farm, when he arrives, he sets up a character that is so <laughs> off the planet. Backwards. It's un- remember when he says, um, yeah, Eddie's looking for work, um, but, you know, they, 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 they don't have a manager's position. <laughs> one of my favorite He's only up for management. Um, what, what is that? Hamburger hover? Yeah, just hamburger hover. <laughs> and also when he, when he goes, <laughs> hey, that's when Clark goes, ooh, real tomato sauce, Eddie? <laughs> what about the bit where, where, where Eddie goes to... Um, Eddie goes to Clark, uh, Clark, I bet you could use a cold one. And he's got half a can of beer in his hand. He hands Clark the half a can and he takes a new <laughs> one for himself. <laughs> and Clark just looks at him like, well, what is going on here? In that movie, Cousin Eddie is like the comic equivalent of deliverance. It's almost like inheriting that um, fear of the other or fear yeah. of regional or fear of the yeah. generation above us. It's like the, the, the uneducated, the uncivilized, the rubes. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead of making it scary, it's just hilarious. It's, it's also kind of um, – Eddie's actually trying to, to be better. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because you know, in, in the first one, he's Eddie's holding an, out for a loan, right? Eddie's yeah. an incredibly likable character. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we, I mean, look, we could talk about Eddie the whole day, right? But Eddie follows us through. So he comes back in Christmas vacation and he's one of the central characters. And I want to say about Randy Quaid as well, for people who follow Randy Quaid's career, uh, and he's had a long career, but he got into trouble with the law. Uh, so he went on the run, and I believe he ended up in Canada. Mm. Um, like, I mean, he, so when was this? This was about I don't know, five years I've ago. I've heard about this, but I don't know much about it. Oh, at one point he was held up inside a friend's house, and the police couldn't get into the house, and he was doing live broadcasts there. And one of the more um, well-known but less savoury, I guess, was that he made this video where someone was trying to get something of him contractually, and he has sex with his current partner and sort of films it, and then makes an announcement, and then he and he looks dishevelled. He's got a massive beard, and then he announces at the end of having sex, saying, "That's me doing that to you guys, or whatever." Like he's making this weird analogy about he was out of control. Uh, yeah, right? he he had lost it, and and it was kind of like everyone. Went, well, that's in. That's it for Randy. Yeah, I, I read uh, that his life was that. in danger because he was driving around with a gun, and the police were after. Yeah, wow. So like things could have gone really bad for Randy. I always or think of Randy Eddie. played uh, in the opening to Brokeback, where he plays. Uh, the oh, guy yeah. that's hiring them yeah. to, to go work on the mountain. But cousin Eddie for me is one of the one of the best characters in the history of film. Yeah. But cousin Eddie also represents one of the pinnacles, right, to Clark's uh, achievement of a harmonious Christmas because Cousin Eddie's going to upset everything. He brings a massive Rottweiler with him. (laughs) The Rottweiler is like breaking stars. What about the the scene in the shopping centre where um, Eddie's just putting, like, bags of dog food on the toilet but there's no food at all? (laughs) I just want to bring it back to um, Cousin Eddie's character as a device in that he is, like, if you look at that, that strand of... Rural and what we talked about in Texas Chainsaw with Southern Discomfort films, how yeah. that also represents a generation above you, uh, above you, and a, a connection to the past. It's almost like a, a cousin Eddie's our time machine. Who, mm. uh, like the nostalgia machine, he goes and collects and corrects the current. 80s capitalist yeah. notion of the bad boss punishing you. Yeah, that's he's what I think. The device. Eddie he's almost got enacts that. a revolution in yeah. himself. He, he's, un- he's he's stupid. He's a moron. He unwittingly does it. But I do. I, I'm not sure if he <coughs> is so stupid in that he knows that what has occurred is wrong. And I know that Clark only says, "What I want is this for Christmas," and he just goes, "Okay, I'll go do it." But also, there's an element of and then that there's is a, there's the a close up on Eddie. And when Clark yeah, says yeah. that, there's a close up on Eddie, and he's like thinking, really hard. <laughs> he's, he's going, he's up. plotting in his head. But what if in that moment, because of that's his character and that's the themes it represents, you know, it makes sense that he's the only one in the family that goes, "I'm going to make this right." Yeah. Uh, this incorrect current world. And I like what you're saying because it's also Eddie not existing within the codes yes. of that kind of civilized community. <laughs> well, you can't you know? contain <laughs> a person like Cousin Eddie. He's outside yeah. of all containment. The other thing I want to, uh, a shout out to Beverly D'Angelo. So we talked about Donna Reed as being fundamental to yeah. It's a Wonderful yeah. Life and a really strong character in that. Beverly D'Angelo is as important a part of this franchise not as important as Chevy Chase, obviously he leads the film, but but she is wonderful in every scene she's in. Mm. Do you do you think our love of this movie comes from having watched it over and over as we grew up? Or, or do you think this is actually a really good Christmas movie? I think it's I a very good Christmas movie. I'll be honest, I can't tell anymore. Yeah. I was trying to be objective on this watch. Yeah. And that's for the first time I started to see th- flaws in it, so yeah. to speak. I was impressed at certain elements of 
Um, there was a build-up where they, they do a sequence, a montage of Happy Christmas just before the turkey's cut. So it sort of does fluctuate, and I think purposefully yeah. fluctuates between happy, sad, happy, sad. Yeah. It, it goes to a happy place after he chops down the tree, brings it in again, and there's a squirrel breaks out, and then it turns to a horror film with that amazing tracking shot as everyone runs up the stairs. Yeah. That feels just like a shot from Panic Room or something. you know. And I do think it's intentionally yeah. good filmmaking, but again, the plot, I'm just not sure if, you know... It totally does an excellent farce. Yeah. But it still it delivers it in many yeah, I mean, different ways. For what it's worth, I sequences. don't think it's a perfect comedy in terms yeah. of the rhythms of it. But I will say the set pieces, including Cousin Eddie's entrance at a particular moment, uh, are just inspired. Like the, I love the cutting of the tree, for example. And yeah. that is just such a ridiculous <laughs> physical <laughs> gag, right? Like, you want a gag? Just cut, cut a tree and the whole tree just flips open. Well, I was saying to both of you before that I'm doing uh, a turkey for our pre-Christmas dinner next Thursday night. And I was going like, I'm going to say to everybody, drum roll, please. Can I get a drum roll, please? And I want everyone to go, <laughs> I mean, that stands out. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Are... Chevy Tate also has a great ability to deliver subtext or to deliver a science which is a lost art form it's you know it's mm. it's clear it's a very theatrical thing and it's something that happened but not since the 50s has you know right. needed to deliver a, do a, an aside but he's able to say things like especially to Eddie a lot like um when he's just going hey can I get you anything and then he'll say something horrible to Eddie but <laughs> smile and it's just a throwaway but it can exist yeah you yeah. know it doesn't need to be spoken to someone or turned to camera but he's able to just throw it in and I think Chevy Chase does that a bunch in his yeah. films yeah yeah it's a look I, it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun all right, let's move on to our miss on scene. But before we do that, it's time to do our last bonbon. Okay, uh, this is me and you, Craig. Yes, okay, good sorry. Luck. Good luck, gentlemen. So we have a gold bonbon. We're both finding that little strip inside. Okay, pulling one, three, two, two, three. Yep. Oh, I won oh, one. crap, man. That's fantastic. That means, there's your gift there, Craig. All right, I'm going to stay oh. on mic. It hey, is... that does mean we all won one. Yeah, yeah it's a gold star So uh, on a key ring. I have a purple hat. So we're wearing yellow, blue, and purple. And let's read this fantastic stuff. Oh, it's it, they've got a heading. It says joke yeah. at the top. Yeah, yeah. It says joke. And yeah, well, well, joke hang on. Trivia. One of you said question. Yeah, that's the second part. Okay, joke, joke trivia, and who am I? All right, joke. What do you get if you cross a snowman with a vampire? <laughs> Playing at home. Fang. Something no. like that. It's it's Snow Fang. Snowman with a vampire. Something you might get in cold weather. A cold. No. It's uh, frostbite. 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 Trivia. Okay, it's a tricky one. What year was America discovered by the director of <laughs> Home Alone, <laughs> Christopher Columbus? Fourteen ninety two is correct. Movie starring Daniel Day Lewis. You seen that? Uh, <laughs> nah, Gerard Depardieu, wasn't it? Ah, mise en scène. Now it's time for our mise en scène where we zoom in on one scene or sequence from the film. Up first, it's Herschel. What have you chosen from It's a Wonderful Life? In a movie of many standout scenes, obviously I had to choose the scene at the end where James Stewart, in realising that his world has been reset, in realising what the offside to a world without him looks like, he has this amazing kind of emotional epiphany and he runs down the center of the main street of Bedford Falls. Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas! Screaming out to anybody that will listen, 
of how wonderful his life is and calling out to people. And Bruce just referenced what, what you said before. He knows everyone by yeah, name. Yeah, he knows he calls their, names. their names out. I think that's really important that they ended on that, that he's calling out to the community. Yeah, yeah. Almost as if he's calling them to him, but he's also relocating himself in the community. It's also an incredibly, I think it's a very cleverly shot scene because in a film where James Stewart has been in almost every frame, the final shot, is tremendously first person. It's tremendously just James Stewart and the book ending of a journey that he's gone through. So he turns around and the camera sees him and the stubble of his beard and the gray in his hair and it kind of signifies the journey that he's been on. Yeah. Then when people start coming out and what they've done for George and the happiness in James Stewart's face, I don't know if you could capture like, like a completedness to a film better than they did in this film. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to say is, it's obviously very much the Scrooge ending of A Christmas Carol, where Scrooge has the realization, and then he starts handing out money to people left, right, and center, and, and he discovers what truth is and beauty. So I guess the other thing that I want to say in this movie is the number of times that this kind of shot has been used in film. The realization of the main character, who then, in a burst of energy, physically completes the odyssey that they've been on. Him running down the street, if we think of, you know, Woody Allen in Manhattan yeah. or um, Billy Crystal in When Harry Met Sally, it's these heightened moments of emotion and realisation and it's captured by a person physically running to complete a journey. Which I, I really love so that idea of the importance of, like, the physicality of the journey that you're covering. Because mm -hmm. I'm thinking about it in so many different movies. Remember that um, Hugh Grant one, uh, the Christmas one? Four Weddings and a Funeral? No. Love Actually? No, not Bad Love Boy. Actually. It was uh, Notting Hill. Notting Hill, uh, yeah. Right. And it's got that really lovely, uh, like it's not really a long take, it's a kind of uh, disguised series of cuts. But he walks just down the main stretch of Notting Hill and it changes seasons. And it's that moment of transformation, like, and mm. it's around Christmas time. So th that motif is just so strong in our cinematic minds. The trajectory, the sequencing of the, the shot is very important. It's very, very first person. It's James Stewart's journey. It's the completion of the odyssey that he's been on and the realization of his value. But equally, and this goes to what you were saying before, Bruce, it's, it's fundamental that this ends in the community shot because James Stewart stands there with his family, but they've all come together and they've solved the problem that he was in together. So the value of life is not, it is in individual worth, but equally it's in community. Mm. And that's the final shot of it. Then the camera pulls back and you've almost got like the curtain falling on the performance, which I think is yeah. really lovely at the it's, end of this movie. Well, how do you guys feel like right at the end? It's one of the most satisfying like just ending sequences. You know, his brother comes back early. Mm. The minute he got the cable, he flew through the blizzard. And you know, he says to George Bailey, the richest man in, I'm even choking up saying it, yeah, the richest yeah. man in the world. Mm. Uh, and, it, and, and when they cut to James Shooting, it's a close up, the look on his face is so beautiful. And I think that's what, why you pay the actors the big bucks, right? It's because he has to make material, something that's so internal. Um, and I, like, I was watching that uh, even just this morning. And I was just bawling yeah. in that mm. sequence because, and you need that to work, right? It's many things happening, but the performance, and also I should say Donna Reed in that sequence yeah, is so beautiful. Like, the like a, a sense of like gratitude and peace that is coming through the door. And, you know, in another world you could have gone, oh, that is so lame and all the people bring in all their cash and give money. But I was like euphoric. Like yeah. thinking, hey, they're giving in this. Gift, so yeah. when I say that you've got the Caprice world, 
It's because he was able to construct a world where this language is permitted and we, we're yeah. not cynical. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't work. It certainly no, shouldn't work in 2023, it, but it works. From a plotting point of view, it has occurred. He has done the best for... We see sequences where every member of that community, he hands them yes. over money, mm. montages. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. It's just planted really well and not on the nose. It doesn't yeah. stink because that looks like it's a part of, of another story, which is about him not doing what his life requires. But what it turns out to be is a payoff at the end. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. What he was doing was banking all of this credit to cash it in I at I love moment. that point. I've never thought of that. Yeah, because it's sense, a bait and switch, right? He's banking the credit of goodwill. Yes. That's what goodwill is, right? That's yeah. what love your... Well, Your but that's what's great neighbor. about this movie is that the first two thirds is saying, yeah, this dude's banking goodwill, but don't think of it like that. Think about it how this guy's not getting what he wish he got. Yeah. And you spend the whole time thinking that so that when he needs to get what he gets in the last five minutes, it makes total sense. Yeah. It doesn't stink. It doesn't feel yeah, yeah, yeah. out no, of place. I mean, it's such a beautiful a very, very film uh, in terms of just <laughs> pulling you into mm. what is ostensibly really a complete fantasy, right? Yeah. Because that's what we wish for the world. But that's not really the way that uh, you know a, a contemporary world operates. Uh, it scene, can operate in certain pockets, but not in that kind of a whole-scale community level. This scene for me completes one of the great third acts mm. in film. Oh, yeah, one, yeah. One of great the point. very great endings. Um, the, and the film. stuff with Clarence could have been really hokey. But Clarence is great. Clarence is I just love Claire, the angel. Oh, Clarence yeah, right. the angel. I just thought he was wonderful. So you know what I'm yeah. saying? Gonna... and... You know what I'm going to watch tonight? I'm going to watch um, Heaven Can Wait. The, oh, that's, the, a, that's actually um, a really that, fun, Warren, fun movie. Warren Beatty. Beatty. Yeah, yeah, it's so much fun. It's a really yeah. good Christmassy one as well. Mm. So it's if people very, haven't seen that, you should check that out. It's a good uh, companion piece. Yeah. I have seen that and one. And I think yeah. there's a sort of loose re-updating of It's Wonderful Life in some ways. All right, it's time to do our second Miss On Scene. Miss On Scene. Bruce, what have you chosen for us from Christmas Vacation? Okay, I think we laid out a really good narrative of what this movie is about and the way it works as comedy, which is we need Clark to overcome a series of obstacles. The two largest being his boss and cousin Eddie, right? Those are the two that he has to overcome. I think the movie does a brilliant job of always letting us know Clark is one very good. He's a good person. He cares deeply about his family. He's quirky. And, you know, yeah, he might fantasize He does have the capacity woman. to lose it. He has capacity. But we are supposed to trust in this as the great patriarch of the American family mm. wanting to have a great Christmas. So this has to turn on. We can't think of him as Cousin Eddie. We have to trust that there's some substance to Clark. And I think a moment of genius is to bring us into the fold of trusting Clark while most people think he's a complete idiot. And that all moves around the lights on the house. Yeah, it's one of the greatest And there's scenes. just a brilliant, almost suspense sequence of Clark putting on the lights. And he's invited his entire family out the front. They're all standing there. It's freezing cold. They're all in thick gowns. And then he, <laughs> I'm gesturing. He, put, he gets the puts above his head and goes, drum roll. <laughs> and then he pushes them together and yeah. nothing happens. And you know and you've got the, the symbol in the back again. Ding. Yeah, and, and, oh, there's a huge symbol on the soundtrack that mm. just goes, bang. Um, the thing that hurts me more than anything else is when his father-in-law goes something like, what a waste of money. Yeah. You know, like you think, gee, the guys, you know, and, and Billy D'Angelo to a credit says, Dad, do you know how long he worked? No, no, the daughter says, Grandpa, mm, yeah. do you know how long he worked? He put up every one of those bulbs by himself. And, just, and, and we know there are 25,000 of them that they've mm. stapled to yeah. the roof. 
what's really critical is that when it does work, it's a private moment we almost share with the in crowd, which is us, the audience, who have to believe there's some substance to what he's doing. It's his wife, his children, and Clark. But all the other people, the grandparents, the uncles, the ones we don't like who don't believe in Clark have been sent back into the house. Mm. And I just think that's an extremely skillful, almost partitioning of these two groups. We trust in Clark, and we kind of know he must deliver. This is a Frank Capra world. He has to deliver at the end, whereas everyone in the house thinks he's never going to deliver. And it's just really brilliant. And, I mean, one of my favorite shots is a close-up of the way he's put the PowerPoints in, uh, into the wall socket. And there's about nine double adapters just one on top of the <laughs> other with a, with a crap load of masking tape yeah. around to hold it in place. The, the, other thing I, the other thing I love about this is the, the emotional arc that Clark goes through from the failed attempt <laughs> To when it lights up. Now, I don't know if you remember, but when it lights up for the first time, we don't see the lights. Yeah. We're on a close-up of Clark's face, and his eyes just <laughs> go massively wide. But the tone of his skin, it's like someone's got a spotlight <laughs> on his face. The lights are that bright. So that's our first oh, and also don't forget, success. There's a cutaway to an electricity meter, and it just gets... <laughs> oh, yeah. And then the whole and city goes black out. The whole city blacks yeah. out. The summer blacks out. So, I mean... I, I love this scene. Bruce, I think you make a very important point that it's only the family and the viewer that shares in the success. But I want to make yeah, one... it's really critical. But I want to make one The key is he has point. to win them over at the end. So even at the end, the grandparents now are all hugging Clark and stuff. He's achieved yeah. so much. Yeah. But it's really critical that they are the obstacles. But and it's brilliant <laughs> putting them in the house rather than in the front. I want to make a final point, though. Because remember, after it doesn't work, Clark, he, he's... He's in the red, okay? He, he could top himself. <laughs> Things are bad. So don't forget, it's Beverly D'Angelo that goes inside yes. and she works out what's happened here. Mm. So she's looking at the cords and that she's thinking about it. Clark's out the front kicking the reindeer around. He's smashing things up. He's so angry. She thinks about it. She realizes, runs back in, and then he puts it together thinking that it connects. Yeah. When it connects, she flicks the switch and it comes on. So again, the Donna Reed Angelo contribution yeah, is, is really to important. the to the situation is fundamental to the success of yeah. the scene. All right, well there you go. That is uh, miss on scene for both films. What do you what do you think in, in National Lampoon? What's your favorite uh, of the vacation films? Mine's it's so hard to say because I, I I have such fondness for the first one. Right, and that was such a touchstone for me growing up. Probably, I reckon Vacation. I want to go. Okay, with. I think Just Vacation by a, by a I think spread. Vacation. Is the better film just in a comedic sense? Yeah, I've seen Christmas Vacation more often. Yeah, um, but either movie is classic, classic Chevy Chase comedy. I'm probably sticking with Christmas only because it means a lot to the family. It's something we yeah. always watch. So, do you guys watch that as a? a few yes, but I think it, it resonates a, a lot with my family as well. In that, yeah. there's a reservedness to Clark, a patience in that. As much as he hates his extended family, he must tolerate them. Yeah. And his actions say, look, you can stay with me. You, you live here now. Yeah. But at the same time, he's openly saying or doing asides that suggest this is painful for him. Yeah. But he continues on. And I think in my family, <laughs> that is something, uh, an experience where yeah. my family also goes, oh, we've got some pretty wild extended family, but we're very happy to, we have to be nice to them. That's what you do when you have family. But it's family. also that old school idea, right? That family is meant to mean something. Mm. You know, that was something that, that is always an interesting idea to me. You know, that I have to acknowledge you and respect you because you're family. 
Yeah. You could be the worst arsehole on earth, but I have to acknowledge you. And that's an interesting thing I think the three of us certainly grew up with. Yes. Mm. What about your favorite Jimmy Stewart performance? Very difficult it's question. Tough. Very, we've got very Vertigo, question. we've got Rope, we've got uh, this film. I think this is shot this up. Is up there. I think I, this is I up there. I think maybe, and I would never have said this yesterday, I think it's a wonderful life. I think yeah. he's my. He, I think it's his best performance. Mr. Smith goes to Washington is wonderful as well. In that movie, he's even more central to every scene than he is in this. It's basically a James Stewart movie. Yeah, right. Um, the filibuster scene, obviously, one of the most famous scenes in 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 older Hollywood. Um, I think he's but for the range of performance, yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, I, I've life. never. It's the range in this yeah. one that does it for me. I, I mean, and it's the emotional um, length. Yeah, that that blew me away. I was leveled by what he, he he does. The the way like go from as I said, frivolous singing banter mm. to extremely dark, violent stuff that I don't think you were seeing in Hollywood of the 30s. All right, I think that is it for our uh, Christmas episode. And for our season, season, for our season, season and ends. for our first year of podcasting. Congratulations, boys. Congratulations to well. both of you. Um, I'd just like to say thanks so much for listening. Uh, this concludes our first year of podcasting, and it's inconceivable that three uh, boys sitting in the library courtyard at high school, that there would even be an audience for what you know, for the for the way we grew up and for our experiences I know, uh, that, in the I future. I've got to say, that's been I the most uh, just re- reassuring, humbling part of this is that a lot of people have just come up to me, you know, whether at uni or elsewhere, or send me emails mm. and saying, hey, I really love listening to you guys. And well, that's been, thank you to everybody. Who's I wrote some facts here because the podcast has had over 11,000 downloads around the world from academics to film lovers, from friends and family members to comedians and filmmakers themselves. During the course of the year's podcast, we've talked or heard from Ari Aster, you guys. Yeah, we that, yeah, got we to did speak the Ari, Ari Aster, which was fantastic. Was um, I mean, he's still open to doing something for the podcast. Which would be great, yeah. but I mean, just the fact that he even knows we exist is beautiful. Hey, it's a hell of a thing. Yeah. And then to you be reached out and, and spoke to Mark Bouchard from American Oh, that's Movie, right. The, that was great. The filmmaker that's mm. at the center he of the He said he'd film. be keen to come on at some point. Yeah, I think to that's talk excellent. About a current project. So I think that would be In the future, we could consider a colleague of mine the other day, fantastic documentary filmmaker, Anna Bronowski, if you're listening, Anna. Uh, she organized the uh, screenings of the master's students' films mm. the other day, and I was the uh, the chair of the judging panel. It was such a fun experience. Um, Anna had this brilliant idea. She's got a fantastic film, which is all about the way people tell stories and, and a deception about a story that is told by a woman. Which and one? You, uh, see, I'm trying to think Hang of on, the it's name. Forbidden I've Lines? Seen, yes, Forbidden Lines. Oh, I love that movie. Okay, it's yeah, great, right? She's I'm, amazing, um, yeah, director so in she, that. She's so I good. said to her, you know, she said, if you guys are interested, you could do that with another film, and, you know, I would love to come on and we oh. talk. So then, and she gave me the F for Fake. Do you guys know F for Fake? Yeah, right? yeah. All right, awesome so Wells. F for Fake is one of my favorite movies. So I thought those two together would be an incredible You know what we could consider? With, uh, with Anna. I think next year, because I've got a lot of, you know, filmmaking Yeah, yeah, for sure. We could start to do comparisons with the actual filmmakers of one of the How films interesting in here. would that be? And can, I'd like to shout out to some of our listeners who grew up out west and who, some of them who still live and work in the western suburbs. Uh, hello to Bjorn Stewart, who's an excellent actor, very funny actor, writer, director. And he, his Spotify end of year wrap up, you know that thing that Spotify produces? Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. He sent it to me because he had listened to 599 minutes of this podcast. Oh, so Bjorn, thank you, thank you so much. In the top 9% of fans, it called him a super fan of the podcast. So How tremendous. nice is that? Thanks, Nailed Bjorn. It, Bjorn. Um, Nova, I'd love to say hi to, is an excellent sound recordist that I've worked with. And he grew up in Blacktown, and I think he's about the same age as us. And he sent me an excellent text saying that 
he used to bring a pillow to the Mount Druid Astro to sit on because <laughs> it hurt his butt. So yeah, he said he couldn't make I it know. through half an hour. And then he reminded me that they also used to do movie marathons on the day before a public holiday. Yeah, So they'd right. play like four films starting at 8 o'clock at night and he said he used to love going to those movie marathons. Actually, I just wanted to thank um, Kathy, my partner, and... Elsie, yes, um, Kathy's daughter, because Elsie did a hell of a lot of the designs that you you folks yeah. have seen on They're Instagram. Awesome. Yeah, Thank you. Instagram. Like she's just Elsie, a, she's a wizard at she's art. She's a great artist. artist she's right? going to be an amazing, amazing artist. For Clyde, um, he he constantly gives me possibilities that he thinks will play well. <laughs> so for next season, okay. he's pitched uh, a few different things. But he came up with something I thought was very interesting. He got The Greatest Showman versus Elvis as musical kind of theatre. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I thought that was yeah. an interesting one. I loved it, Elvis. You guys know how much I love that movie. And I want to say thank you to Lockie as well for, for listening to a hell of a lot of episodes and then, and then telling me what he thinks about it. <laughs> uh, and he's got about um, like probably 25 different pairings that he thinks would make our show Let's a lot better a than it currently is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude, it's rubbish right now. I'm in a lovely uh, WhatsApp group with my honors students from about three years ago. And they, you know, one guy, Cosmo, very funny guy, he looks exactly like uh, the character in Saltburn. I, I messaged him and said, um, the, the, like, I, the gay guy, I assume he's gay. Black guy with big afro hair. You, you just dug oh, a hole so big. Oh, yes, he's also in Midsummer and Gran Turismo. Is that he's in Gran Turismo? Yeah, well, do you it? remember him in Midsummer? He plays the other. He's the other oh, brother yes, who brought him along. Yes. Yeah, British actor. I forget his name. Anyway, yeah. so I want to thank. So Cosmo was saying he was listening to our uh, worst of episode, <laughs> and he said he was on the bus and he was just bursting out laughing. <laughs> so I want to thank you know all those guys on the WhatsApp group. They've been wonderful. Thank you to all my PhD students who've listened, and thanks to lots of academics like you know who've just followed it, and kind of said things to me along the way. Uh, that's it's been really great. Thanks to Rebecca, my wife, who's. Uh, I think yet to listen to an episode in full. Cheers. Cheers, Becky. Thanks, Jesus. Becky. I also want to say, um, for the folks I work with at the University Library at Sydney, and I want to thank to you two, I want to thank both of you for uh, all the time you put in. Same. Well, also, I want to thank Craig for the amount of time he puts into this. Yeah, Craig, Thanks, all guys. that editing. Keep it going, man. Keep it going. Well, <laughs> that's what I'm about to say now, is that next year we hope to come back, but hopefully in a more sustainable way. Yes. No, but no, 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 if we it's will. a sustainable gonna... way, I think we'll be ramping it up, which yeah. means I'll be doing a lot of video editing. I'm a yeah, I think there's there a lot of exciting ideas and idea that maybe, because, you know, obviously, we're in podcast format at the moment, but the idea of being on YouTube, having people see the report. Yeah, we can make this do, but we can also do video essays of all the information. We can yeah. do lots of cool stuff. If Just we, so that we can give people a closer look no, at the magic that occurs continue. here. Yeah. So, so if you have any leads on... out how to sustain Yeah, the, if you have the, any leads on funding, also contact us <laughs> yeah, immediately. Has <laughs> or we can go down the path of like the uh, Ghostbusters or something. We'll take a third mortgage out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> I love that when Harold Roby says... Every, no, 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 Bill Murray goes, everybody has a third mortgage. And then Harold Ramis he, he goes, um, just for your information, the repayments alone on the first <laughs> month, I think it's a figure. It's just so fantastic. What about when Dan goes, but you didn't even negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. All right, we hope to be back next year. So please stay subscribed and follow us on Instagram because mm. that's where we'll let you know that we're coming back. I think that's it. Yeah, make sure you're subscribed to all of the places that you're listening to currently because that will also give you updates when we're coming back next year. Mm. All right. Thank you. And so Merry much Christmas to everybody. Yeah, Have Merry a safe Christmas. and wonderful Christmas, folks. Happy New Year. I've been Craig Anderson. I've been Herschel Isaacs. I've been Bruce Isaacs. Join us next time for Film versus Film. Take two. Film versus Film. Film. Film.